New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show, and I'm hearing confirmed reports that this is our January transfer window special. The war chest has been blown open, the transfer kitty has purred, the late swoops have been swept, the sagas have been completed, and all the other cliches have been rolled out as Europe's top five leagues completed 641 deals worth $847 million. That's the equivalent of Graham Rutherford's annual jersey purchasing budget. My name is Ryan Bailey, and Total Soccer sources indicate that Graham Rutherford is joining us on the line right now. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. You're not far off with that uh, that budget, Jai. But but don't don't tell my wife. I'm pretty sure uh, she doesn't know that, and I'm hoping she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if she's anything like my wife, she definitely doesn't listen to the podcast, Graham. <laughs> um, it, 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 um, jerseys, Graham. You got you got a big budget there. Do you ever do jersey swaps? Um, you know, like trade deals, loans. Is that what you're into? Um. Not really, no, to be honest. I tend to keep what I have for collection purposes, but classic football shirts, man, if they ever have a a discount or a sale, it's bad news for me and uh, for my things like paying bills and eating and uh, paying for like clothes for my daughter that's that always takes a hit i could just uh, dress her i could just dress her in like 2003 fernabachi shirts <laughs> uh, and i'm pretty sure no one would notice the difference graham there's a there's a theory called maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's um like food shelter and at the top of the pyramid is um uh, vintage soccer shirts so yeah. you're doing fine don't worry yeah. don't worry i can believe that <laughs> also on our radar today is a man who is a winner in the window of life hello taylor rockwell <laughs> hello i'll take that one that was very kind of you graham are you aware that you're going the like uh the beanie baby route that people used to go of like i'm gonna buy this beanie baby it's gonna appreciate over time and i'm gonna <laughs> retire on that beanie baby fund it feels like you're going the same way with your jerseys yeah, I mean, it's basically NFTs is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a link between uh, NFTs and, and soccer jersey collecting. And let me tell you, NFT fad uh, enthusiast, you're not going to make any money out of it. You're going to make as much money out of it as I have from buying soccer jerseys over the last 20 years. Yeah, the shirts will still be there in 20 years, Graham. Will the That's bored true. apes? I don't know. Who's to say? Yeah. Um, Taylor, how are you doing? Have you um, taken down your January transfer window decorations from your home yet? Your transfer tree, uh, your rumor themes, bunting? You know, yeah, something like I just keep them up in February. Yeah, I, I had I had made stars out of Obama Yang. I had a series of those around the house. Those have been taken down and replaced with new decorative colors that are Barcelona related. Yeah, I, I think the decorations are are sort of changed into what might come in the spring as opposed to the January uh, window. 
Yellow ties as garland around the house. There we go. <laughs> Sky Sports coverage of Deadline Day was uh, shown in its complete form on Peacock this year, by the way. I don't know if you caught any of it, Taylor, but um, kind of. I, I watched about half an hour. I was like, I've had enough of that. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. I always enjoy the random like the the random tweet that becomes a reported story like this player's definitely on the move and then somebody reputable has to say like what no that's not happening what are you talking about like i enjoy when the exhausted pundits have to squash something and they don't have the the poise that they did when they started their coverage to be very diplomatic about it it just becomes sort of i i don't know where you're getting that from no that's not happening yeah i appreciate the, that level the- of observation and the one they were doing that with on deadline day this year was Usman Dembele to Chelsea. I don't know if anyone caught that, but they kept they kept on teasing it as, and where is Usman Dembele going? Is there any sign of him on Chelsea? They kept on going to the guy standing outside Cobham, and he's just like, nope, nah. not happening. <laughs> and then 15 <laughs> minutes later, they would tease it in exactly the same way. Oh, oh man. Yeah, he was the one, wasn't he? He was, he was the one that w- was on the move to 14 different clubs at various points. And in the end, didn't go anywhere. He didn't, perhaps to Barcelona's detriment. We shall discuss that very shortly, but I've got wonderful news for you both. Spending Uh in the window has returned to pre-pandemic levels. Hurrah, nature is healing. Uh, We had the highest total since January, uh, in January since 2018, when 430 million was spent. Um, Premier League clubs last January only spent 70 million. They spent 295 million. That's in pounds sterling, for your reference, by the way. Around half, Taylor, of that 295 million was spent by teams in the bottom five your Everton's your Norwich's your Newcastle's your Watford and your Burnley's so is that moves of desperation or moves of necessity Taylor Mm. I mean yes is my answer to that because that's (laughs) pretty much what it feels like it's a lot of desperation it's also trying to fill areas of need Uh, and I think that was that was very interesting Ryan where where I thought you were going was to uh, claim credit because I believe your prediction when we did the live transfer show was about how uh, there would be more spending in the Premier League than there had been of late. And I believe you got that prediction point uh, pretty easily. Yeah, I'm good at predictions. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I also, I had, I think my prediction was that Josh Sargent would score for Norwich before Ricardo Pepe scores for Wolfsburg. So I'm feeling pretty pretty confident about that prediction overall, since I don't think uh, Ricardo Pepe is going to be scoring much for Wolfsburg. I thought the trend of the bottom five spending a lot of money was not as surprising given as Newcastle were uh, involved in that in that bidding and they've got the money to do so these days. The other thing that seemed to be a, a pretty consistent trend, it's been reported about and various phrases used, but my favorite one was from Barney Rone for The Guardian. Uh, the trading of toxic human assets is, is a new one to me, but a lot of players with massive wages, massive salaries, and how clubs were able to or not able to, as we've already talked about, move those assets on or figure out ways to get them off the books. That also seemed to be a pretty big story Mm. of this window. That feels like a good seg into Barcelona's window, Taylor. Perhaps we should talk about them first. Uh, Europe's other top four leagues besides the Premier League, by the way, spent a combined 380 million euros. Uh, That's only 2 million more than the Premier Leagues and the EFL, and the the entire EFL spent uh, in this window. So um, 
Europe didn't, uh, the continent, I should say, didn't do quite as much business as the Premier League. But Barcelona certainly dipped their toes in, did they not, Taylor? Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang joining on a free transfer in the end. Watching Sky Sports' coverage on, on, on Peacock, it looked like a Peter Odenwiggy situation because they were, they were pitching it that he turned up on like a family holiday in Barcelona. Mm. <laughs> and the reason they kind of did this is it was like a semi-unofficial move. He had to, Aubameyang first had to get out of his Arsenal contract mm. um, to get into a Barcelona one so the first step was um, waiving his claim to 300 grand a week and 18 months of further contract and a payoff only at once he'd um, released those shackles uh, could he go to sign for Barcelona that's why it went down to the uh, 11th hour to use another transfer window cliche um, but yeah um, so they, they got him in Taylor they got Danny Alves in Adama Traore of course came in on loan as well uh, they couldn't move on uh, Osman Dembele as you've referred earlier um, that would have improved their salary situation situation a little bit um, but they did offload uh, Philippe Coutinho as well and they restructured Samuel Umtiti's deal so how do you feel about Barcelona Taylor Rockwell? I mean still confused I, I think <laughs> it's a good window for them I still don't fully understand how they're making all this work I understand you get rid of Coutinho those wages come off that helps a lot I understand you restructure Umtiti uh, but for all of that, Dembele not restructuring, not agreeing to a move, not agreeing to anything. From what I have read of, of the of the Obama Yang move in particular, Sid Lowe did a very good, not quite minute by minute, but a good insider's look at, at how that move went down. It was basically if Dembele had moved, then they could have paid certain players X amount because he didn't move. They can pay them this right now. Then it restructures later on. And it all feels very short term for Barcelona it might end up being a smart long-term move but uh to go back to that Barney Rone piece for a moment the kind of narrative was essentially clubs keep doing this they keep bringing in these assets overpaying and then expecting it to work out and when it doesn't you have more toxic assets to try to figure out maybe that won't be the case here with Aubameyang and Barcelona but it also feels like it very well could be and on top of that, I still don't quite understand how they're able to register Aubameyang and Traore and Ferran Torres, who are all going to be on pretty mm -hmm. high wages, I would assume. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to do that, if they're able to get everybody on board and playing, and then how they make everybody fit, because you would assume that front line is suddenly very imposing with Adama Traore and Ferran Torres, uh, maybe on, on the outside with Aubameyang in the middle. But Adama Traore, for example, was already moved on by Barcelona because he didn't fit their style of the way they wanted to play so for him to come back uh is a probably good story for him but it, it has me scratching my head a little bit about how all of this is going to work out that said it might work out just fine and they'll end up winning la liga somehow you never know <laughs> graham there was an episode of family guy years ago where peter had like um a car he had a boat he had like something called the linden peter a helicopter and his neighbor right. joe just screamed at him how how are you affording these things <laughs> that makes me think of barcelona <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, I did see earlier today that La Liga, the Twitter account, they tweeted out that Aubameyang is registered, so it seems like they have actually managed to register all their all their January signings. I am not an accountant. I'm not sure anyone at Barcelona is an accountant, but I can't really figure that one out. Um, looking at their signings from a from a soccer perspective, I liked a lot of what Barcelona were doing with their January signings. Um, Ferran Torres, I liked that signing a lot. I think he gives them something they were lacking. That right side of their attack was pretty weak. They lacked goal scorers and he filled a bit of a void. And it's been no surprise to me that he has settled in very quickly. He's already playing well for Barcelona. I think he's got a couple goals for them already or one goal and an assist in three games, I think it is. The Triori signing, I, it, it took me a bit of time to work it out, but 
I've never been his biggest fan, I, sh I should say. I think his actual output doesn't match how eye-catching he is as a player. If you look at his goals and assists, it's it's not very in impressive for someone who has the the skill set that he has. But I, I can see some logic in this one for Barcelona. Xavi knows that for his system and his approach to work, he needs wingers to stretch that pitch to create space. And I think he wants Traore to be his Pedro. Um, so that makes some sense. Then my question becomes, well... Traore and Torres have joined in the same window. Who's going to start over the two of them? Is Torres going to start as a as a centre forward? Traore on the right. Then the left side of that attack becomes very congested. I would say you probably want to give Ansu Fati a lot of game time. Then where's Aubameyang going to play? Um, so the I I did like I, I could see logic in a lot of their signings up until deadline day when they signed Aubameyang, and he did a, a an Odin wingy. Just just send him away, Barcelona. Don't give him a contract, especially not a contract until 2025. As I say, he he plays... That's leaving aside all the sort of dressing room influence stuff, um, you know, given the way that Aubameyang has crashed out of Dortmund and Arsenal, I think it's justified to ask those questions. Leaving that all aside, he plays in a position where you're overloaded with options. So that one doesn't really make much sense to me. But the, but the others I, I quite liked. I think um, on the Traore and um, Ferran Torres issue, Graham, I think they'll just arm wrestle for it. That sounds fair. Uh, I think I know who's going to win that arm wrestle. <laughs> I think so too. Um, according to Sid Lowe uh, Taylor, um, who says, according to uh, John Laporta, Barcelona have saved 159 million yeah. euros on salaries mm -hmm. here. I uh, Once again, I'm not an accountant, and this is a club where lots of the players get suspended sentences for accountancy errors mm -hmm. so um, we can't judge uh, what's going on here but it does seem I'd say Taylor overall that it's a successful window for Barcelona yeah absolutely I, I had that quote too I was confused because then I think he says and Coutinho gave us a lot of room to maneuver and I can't understand if that was like he's part of that 159 million in salaries or if he's a secondary thing that like and also we got rid of Coutinho it feels like they should be the same thing but I feel like this is the the double speak that you would expect from a director who's trying to maybe not deal with certain present uh situations and instead look at the long-term outcome which is that they are a better team I think this does give them a much more imposing attack with a lot of variety to it I think you also get Aubameyang who is coming in with a point to prove and when you've got a hungry angry Aubameyang that feels to be when you're going to get the best out of him when he's got a chip on his shoulder you can sort of utilize that and for it to be Barcelona a club of that size I think it makes him feel a little bit like see I was worth that money I was worth that hype and now I'm gonna back it up so I think yeah all things considered Barcelona probably pretty pleased with the way this January went down indeed the other team I think we all had our eye on during this window Graham Newcastle United turns out they've got a bit of yeah. cash uh, they ended up spending <laughs> around 97 million uh, they brought in late on uh, uh, Leon's Brazilian midfielder Bruno Guimaraes uh, for 35 million plus add-ons uh, that deal almost fell through three times apparently but they uh, Newcastle paid the Newcastle tax and he came in uh, does seem like a good deal there um, Burnley's Chris Wood came in for 25 million Korean Trippier as well and uh, Matt Target from Villa and, and Danburn from Brighton as well so mm -hmm. um it wasn't knee-jerky. They didn't try and get Mbappe or do anything crazy. I don't... Is there a Rubinho equivalent here? A Rubinho to Man City equivalent here, Graham? I'm not quite sure. It feels no. relatively sensible, does it not? 
No, there, there, there isn't a Rubinho. And I think it's going to be really funny in 10 years' time when nobody can get near Newcastle when they've won four Champions League titles in a <laughs> row and they're 40 points clear at the top of the Premier League to think back on how it all started with Chris Wood and Dan Byrne joining them in a, in a January transfer window. <laughs> um, yeah, there is, there is a bit of me that thinks these are sensible signings. Um, Taylor, I think you predicted that Newcastle would actually go down this route, that they wouldn't look to make Rubinho signings and, and it looks yeah. like you called that right. I think Trippier and Guimaraes, they're at the level I thought Newcastle should be looking at. They're big upgrades big upgrades on what they had, and they won't have to replace them for... I know Trippier's like 31 now, but um, he's at a level... You, you probably won't need to replace him for a couple years, and the hope for Guimaraes is he's going to be a key part of that team for, for years to come. He'd, link, he'd been linked with Arsenal... Uh, Manchester United in the past, a number of big clubs. So th- those are, I think those two are impressive signings. The Chris Wood signing is interesting because it also makes some sense. He gives them something a bit different. I think with Trippier, who's one of the best crossers of the ball really anywhere in Europe, um, with him delivering from the, the wing, they're going to need someone who's good in the air, and that's Chris Wood. Um, Newcastle also weakened the relegation rival by signing him, from obviously, from Burnley. Um, but they're still... When you consider that players like Moussa Dembele was supposedly available, the, the Leon striker, um, for the right money, it's been reported that Darwin Nunes from Benfica would have would have also come. He would have been a big outlet, but you know, cash isn't an issue for Newcastle. So it almost seems like I was trying to think of a way to word this. It almost seems like an unnecessarily sensible signing. Almost like Newcastle overthought it when they when they might have just gone for a better centre forward. Um so I'm not sure about that one. We'll have to wait and see. And then um, Dan Byrne and Matt Target. I don't think it's surprised that Newcastle went big on fullbacks in this window because when we talked about them right at the start of the window, we identified that the fullback areas was potentially where they were weakest of all. They were playing wingers like Matt Ritchie in that position. So I guess they are an improvement as well. And, and maybe that is the gauge for Newcastle at this stage where they are facing relegation is, are they stronger now than they were before the window? And I think the answer is undoubtedly yes. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And I think I think it was a pretty smart window from Newcastle on the whole uh, for all the reasons that Graham has mentioned. But like to delve a little bit deeper. Yeah. Bruno Guimaraes, the like obviously the most expensive signing, but he's only 24 years old. That feels like a player that they're buying for now, but also for the next few years, at least that there, he is sort of part of that project. But I look at somebody like Chris Wood, even Kieran Trippier, Dan Byrne, all of them, I think Dan Byrne 29, Chris Wood 30, Kieran Trippier 31, as Graham said. Trippier maybe outside of that, but some of those signings feel like players that are there for the next year, the next 18 months, whatever it might be. And then Newcastle move on to, okay, now we are comfortably mid-table. Now we like reinvest. Now we get more talent. And now we challenge for top eight. Then we challenge for top four. And I feel like they haven't gone big early because, yeah, maybe you bring in Dembele and maybe he has an impact, but also maybe you end up saddled with another gigantic salary that you can't move on and he just kind of collects a wage, but now you have to pay everybody else more because this guy who's not even playing is getting this huge wage. And suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're having to pay a ton of people more money than you want to. Yes, Saudi Arabia can afford it, but at the same time, it establishes a precedent. And I think they've done a really good job of avoiding having to establish that precedent at all. The, I do still have a little bit of a head scratch about Chris Wood. You all talked about this in the uh, AFCON show you did, where you did a little bit of the transfer window, that Burnley losing Chris Wood does theoretically hurt them, and it's Newcastle hurting a relegation rival. But then, Graham, I'm with you. Bringing in uh, Wood Veghorst 
makes Burnley instantly better. He is very, <laughs> very good and is a consistent goal scorer in the Bundesliga. Not a consistent goal scorer for a mid-table Eredivisie side, and we never know how that's going to translate to the Premier League. That that feels like Burnley got better for less money. Like so, I think I think that would be the only area where I think Newcastle maybe could have done a little bit better. But at the same at the same time, if Chris Wood gets a headed goal here and a headed goal there, and he, maybe he scores five goals over the rest of the season, that if you're winning all those games one nil, then that's 15 points he's brought you. And I'm guessing that's how they're looking at it. Yeah, I, I agree. With- Virtually everything you boys have said, that that was the, the thing I was going to call out from Graham as well, saying that they've weakened a rival because I feel like Burnley did, in fact, strengthen uh, in getting rid of Chris Wood because of the deal they made as well. But uh, Bruno Gamaris looks like an exciting one. Uh, I've got some stats from The Guardian. He's one of three players to average at least one and a half tackles, dribbles, key passes and fouls. One in Europe's top five leagues this season. Uh, one of the best all-round midfielders on the continent. So he will strengthen them. And it does feel like they have had a, a good window here in Newcastle. It feels like they potentially have done enough to get out of the mire uh, in which they stand. So on the one hand, my head says, yeah, they've done well here. They're going to just about scrape out of this and, and rebuild next season in the Premier League. But the, but my heart says, they're Newcastle. They're going to Newcastle this up at some point. There's always <laughs> potential to Newcastle it up. Their pants yeah. are going to come down at some point, Graham, surely. Yeah, and, and the standard, the standard. if this works, it's a very good January window because they haven't saddled, them, saddled themselves, as Taylor referenced it, they haven't saddled themselves with players on massive wages who don't really warrant those wages, which will make it more difficult further down the line. So if they stay up, then great. The, pro- the problem is they haven't really made signings that make me go, oh, well, they're definitely staying up now. Like, they have, mm-hmm. they have improved. They're stronger now than they were at the start of the window, but it's not... Out, uh, outside the realms of possibility that Newcastle still get relegated this season and that's where I think uh, potentially have they overthought it have they gone too sensible a little bit could they have gone you know a little bit more ambitious and gone out and got a Darwin Nunes who you go well he's going to score you know 15 goals in the second half of the season and get them out of, out of trouble that's just kind of where I'm where I'm at with Newcastle I think we'll we'll learn more about whether this is a good window or not in the coming weeks and months that that's a really good point, Graham. And I think where where I would like feel comfortable if I were Newcastle is just that we didn't hear that like panicky is has Usman Dembele showed up at St James's Park? Like what's going on? What's going on? And I think sometimes it can help to just be like, nope, we did our business. We knew what we needed. We got what we needed. We're good to go. The Liverpool model, if you will. Uh, And so that Newcastle didn't have that panicky signing that didn't come off. It doesn't leave them with this like, oh, but if they'd gotten that guy, that could have made them better. And simultaneously, if you're the player who was going to be replaced by that big signing, you feel like, all right, I'm clearly not in your plans. You didn't really want me here. And so I feel like in not having those panicky moments and not having a ton of like consistent links for players that were going to come in and then deals fell through last minute, it does leave Newcastle with more of a we know what we're doing, we have a plan mentality potentially than some other teams that it feels a bit more panicky, a bit more scattershot in their approach, cough, cough, Everton. Uh, well, speaking of that, Taylor, I was looking at the two teams above them, Norwich and Everton, and I think they've helped Newcastle in this window. Norwich doing the square root of nothing, and yeah. Everton's technique of uh, not only bringing in a relatively experienced, inexperienced manager, but um, <laughs> midfielders who haven't worked out elsewhere has been the strategy, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah, we shall see yeah. about that one. Um, in fact, yeah. just why don't we take a very quick break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about Everton and a few of the other big Premier League deals. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. 
With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking January transfer deals. Graham, before the break, we were talking about Frank Lampard's Everton. Doesn't that sound spectacular as a sentence? Uh, a couple of transfers made at Everton. Um, Dele Ali coming in on a permanent deal. And Donny van der Beek coming to Everton as well. On loan from um, This Is Us, Modern Family, and You're the Worst. He looks a lot like the actor in that show. That was my joke. <laughs> um, what do you make, Graham, of what Everton have done in this window? And, you know, their new manager too. I haven't a clue, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, sorry to be blunt, but that that, that is my thoughts on Everton at the moment um I think I said that to you on on Monday's podcast I I don't I know Frank Lampard has been a a manager now for what two and a half seasons one season at Derby season a half at Chelsea uh if you were to ask me what kind of manager he is what type, type of style of play he he plays I don't really know I guess the only sort of definable thing he did at Chelsea was was bring through a lot of young players which was a good thing um, if he does that at Everton, that could also be a good thing. But yeah. the signings that he has made kind of only adds to my sense of uh, confusion over what Everton are doing at the moment. And in particular, uh, Deli Alley and, and, and Van de Beek being signed on the same day. Um, Lampard has spoken a number of times about how much he likes Deli Alley, so it's maybe not surprising that he has, he's moved for him, that he wanted to, to go for him very quickly. I think we'll see Deli using a more, a more attacking role. Lampard, when I went back and saw him on Sky talking about Deli Alley, it was all about his, his movement and how he kind of strides forward with the ball and gets shots away and so on. I think Lampard, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but maybe he sees a bit of himself in Deli Alley. So I think he um, will use him in a more attacking role than has been the case at Spurs recently. Um, but then you have Van der Beek, who is a very different sort of midfielder. So how how do you fit Delhi? I I presume Abdoulaye Decore is still going to have a future at Everton. He's probably one of the players you would want to still have in your team. So how do you fit Delhi, Decore, and Van der Beek? And then you've got Alan as well, who is maybe he's the anchor in that midfield, and that makes tactical sense. But 
Lampard tended to use a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 at Chelsea, so if that's a double pivot, how is that going to work? Is he going to go for a diamond in midfield? And that's not something we've really seen from him before, and I think to make that work, he needs to be maybe a sharper tactician than he was at Chelsea. So I'm sorry, what? Yeah, a sharper tactician? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Goodness me. Taylor, what do you make of this one? Is, is this going to be vibes management for the next half of the season for Everton? I mean, that would be my guess. Even that maybe would be good. I, I think any sort of like like definitive quality direction for Everton would be a good thing because going back to the beginning of this month when Luca Digne doesn't really want to be there, Rafa Benitez doesn't really want him in the team, the club picks Rafa Benitez, they side with him, Luca Digne out, Rafa Benitez is our guy, he's the one who says how it's going to be, he's the one who picks the team, never mind, we've sacked him, let's bring in somebody else, and now we have a new manager. And it makes me wonder, was there any vision to any of this, or was it all just sort of very much like, ah, oh, we, we thought he'd get a result, he didn't, so now we'll bring in another manager, yeah, sure, sign that guy, because... Maybe Mikolinko ends up being a very astute signing uh, to replace Digne. Maybe it ends up being the case that Anwar Al-Ghazi is the player they needed on the right wing. But Van de Beek, Dele Ali, Frank Lampard, it all just feels a bit scattershot, a bit, yeah, like vibes is going to get them through. Maybe this will be his redemptive story where he doesn't have as much pressure as he did at, say, Chelsea. But it still feels like there's going to be plenty of pressure with that relegation battle on. Do you all feel like it's? it seems odd to even have this conversation because it's Everton they've been in the Premier League for so long they've been in the top eight or whatever for so long do you all feel like there's a realistic chance they go down or do you think they yes. just they have yep. the resources to keep them up Graham no, I think yes. there's a real chance to go down and I think their next couple of fixtures in the Premier League are against Leeds and Newcastle hmm. so after those two games I mean the Lampard is be, he really needs results in those first two games. Otherwise, Everton, I think, dropped to 18th in the table if they were to lose both those games. Um, so, yeah, there's absolutely a, a realistic uh, prospect that they could go down, I think. Man, those, yeah. those games are going to be fascinating because Leeds could be the Leeds team that just rips Everton apart, but Leeds didn't really do that much in the window. So who knows if they're going to be rejuvenated, if they're going to be like a little bit fatigued, a little bit, like I don't know, lacking that enthusiasm. Newcastle, for their part... A sort of retooled team that we've already talked about, so you don't know, is that going to be a ready-to-go team, or are they going to take some time? Could be really interesting, because, yeah, you're, you're right, Graham. If they lose both those games, Everton in some trouble, but e even with that having been said, those two teams also present opportunity for Everton. So, yeah, I think those could be some very good games to keep an eye on. Yeah, it'll be odd if Everton do go down because their strategy and their planning and their decisions have been so good in recent <laughs> months and, and, and seasons. So, yeah, it, it will be puzzling. So we'll see about that one. Um, uh, another good deal we saw go through Brentford, bringing out Christian Eriksen, yeah. bringing him back to the game. Um, I don't even know if he's going to be a superstar again, Taylor, but that brought me a lot of joy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I liked when he was linked with Southampton. I liked that he's going to Brentford. Uh, I thought you all, you all talked about this one already, but the, the Danish connection there, and it feels like it's just a, a good story to have him back and potentially playing, potentially being an important part of Brentford season, but of the Premier League season. I liked how many things that I read last night had him as their favorite signing of the window, and I would echo that. It's really good to see him back and hopefully playing. And Taylor, while we're talking about small teams, Man United, um, yeah. what did you want to say about them? Uh, Tony Martial heading off, not too much uh, other like, headline grabbing deals at Old Trafford. Like everybody heading off, man. They, they, <laughs> they got rid of, I think, eight players in this window, uh, three of whom... Lingard. 
were senior players. Jesse Paul Lingard Jesse. remains. He shall never, never be allowed to leave. He, he's just there forever. It's purgatory Aww. for him. But I, I think it's a strange, another strange window for Manchester United because they obviously began this season as we added Ronaldo, we're go, we added Varane, we're going to challenge for the title. Jaden Sancho's here. We've got this squad. This is it. We're going to challenge for the title. We're going to challenge for the Champions League. And I think this window was a pretty significant sign if they hadn't already made it clear that they are not challenging for anything aside from the title of like best team at rebuilding because that's what I think they're going to be doing here. I think this is a sign that it's basically clearing out, figuring out who can play where, who can fit with this team going forward. What does Paul Pogba bring, if anything, when he's able to play? And that's a thing Rafa Rangnick has talked about. But it, it feels to me as though Manchester United have shifted fully into rebuild mode. I know part of that is that they don't, like to spend in January, but when you have some of the deficiencies they do and some of the obvious issues that they do, I think it would have been smart to maybe bring in that midfielder that they've needed, even if it means they're going to have to pay above what they normally would. It's a sign that they are trying to turn things around. It then makes me wonder if maybe players were just hesitant because they don't quite know what's happening at Manchester United. Is it going to be Ralph Rangnick? Is it going to be somebody else entirely? Is it going to be Poch? I guess if you don't know those types of things, maybe you're a little bit hesitant to commit your long-term future to that club. So a strange window, I think, for Manchester United with a now even more pared-down squad. Um, Taylor, the midfielder they needed, didn't they put him on loan to Everton? <laughs> I mean, I, the, I I do sort of, I was in that camp of like, he should be playing. He is the Pogba replacement. Pogba doesn't want to play, doesn't really want to be there, it seems. So yeah, start him there. I now sort of buy into the idea that if two different managers couldn't get the best out of him and figure out how to make it work. And then you hear those reports about his lack of physicality, his uh, difficulty adjusting to the speed of the Premier League. I guess we'll find out. If he goes to Everton and looks just fine and is the kind of engine in that midfield, then we know it was a Man United problem. But I think there's equally a possibility that he goes to Everton and we see more of the problems and he ends up not playing that much. And then I think we've learned a little bit more about Donny van de Beek. But yeah, I think he would have been fine, although he was a midfielder that was never signed to be that sort of ball-winning number six who could cover ground and put out fires but then progress the ball forward. And that's where I think Manchester United still have a, a pretty big hole in their starting eleven. Fun times, fun times. Graham Rutherford, uh, why don't we talk about Tottenham Hotspur? I think their transfer strategy was to have Antonio Conte watch some Juventus games, as far as I can <laughs> see. Um, Rodrigo Bentancur brought in for $16 million, and Kuliszewski coming on an $8 million loan fee as well. Uh, on Dombele, the club's record signing is gone to Lyon. I believe that's on loan. Um, teenage Ringo Starr, uh, a.k.a. Brian Hill, has gone to Valencia. And Lo Celso gone to Villarreal as well. Um, to- Antonio Conte, Graham, obviously wanted to make some moves and to, um, to bring in some of his guys, if you will. Do we feel like Tottenham are stronger now than they were? First of all, did anyone see the Valencia reveal video for Brian Heal? Did anyone see that on Twitter? No. Go it on. was bizarre. Was it, it weirder was than the Frank of... Lampard one, Graham? Do you see the Frank Lampard um, Everton one where it was like a... I don't know, it was like it was done on a TikTok or something. It was, yeah, oh. I saw that, and I saw someone set that to the Hollywood, uh, the Holly Oaks uh, That's right. theme music, and it just worked perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Valencia Brian Hill video, there's no, I don't have any further context to this. They got one of the Weasley brothers from the Harry Potter films to introduce what? it in what looked like his bedroom. He just filmed himself on a webcam going... Uh, 
you know, there's magic in the world and now we're going to introduce a magical winger and it was Brian Hill. And that was, I don't have any further context as to why one of the Weasley brothers was uh, revealing Brian Hill as a Valencia player. Bizarre. All right then. Tottenham then, Graham. <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to pick that up. <laughs> I just left that there. Shall we talk about some Tottenham uh, Let's deals? Do it, yeah. What is stronger? happening? Wait, I have hold no on. idea. I'm sorry. I'm still re- recovering from this. There is no connection it's just like he's a magical winger and i know a thing or two about magic is that basically the gist yeah that seemed to be it no one else no one had any context that they could provide me with it was just it was just a weasley brother i wonder if they have the same agent it's like here's a twofer you get my player at valencia and you get this guy introducing him let's make it happen (laughs) having having never seen harry potter i'm even more confused by this but i'll just assume a weasley brother looks like one of the beatles and they they did it like that i don't know not really no (laughs) the weasley brothers are like with red hair yeah Um, so i don't really know what was going on there but anyway spurs shall we talk about yeah do that i think they are probably just about stronger than they were before the window but I saw uh, I saw the video of uh, Fabio Paratici um, shaking hands with Bentancur and Kulusevski, and I I just I couldn't help but wonder what he was saying to them. Like, congratulations! How does it feel to have funded Juventus's move for Dusan Vlaovic? Because um, I'm not entirely sure that uh, maybe I'm reading too much into the body language, but it didn't. It, maybe they don't want to be at Spurs, and and I I think Spurs have filled two problem positions here. Bentancur gives them another option in central midfield, which was definitely needed. I have more questions about where Kulusevski is going to fit in. I actually really like Kulusevski, but is Conte going to use him as a number 10? He can play there, and that's where Spurs are lacking at the moment. But if he's as a winger, I'm not really sure where he's where he's fitting into that tactical structure there. The big failure of this window for Spurs was in their failure to get a new wingback. Um, that seemed like top of the list for a long time. They chased Adama Traore for a number of weeks. That looked like that deal was happening. Then all of a sudden, Traore was unsure about playing as a wingback, which is apparently where Conte wanted him to play. My question then is, why did it take Spurs so long to find that out? It seemed like they wasted a number of weeks going after that deal. Is that not maybe one of the first things you scope out, whether he's going to he's going to play in a, in a position you want him to play in? So it felt like they wasted a lot of time there. And then, you know, you look at the the players that they went after and the players that, that, didn't, that didn't come to them. You know, Luis Diaz was... Um, you know, they wanted him. He went to Liverpool. They wanted Adama Traore, as I mentioned. He went to Barcelona. They wanted Frank Kessie. He basically laughed in their face and <laughs> stayed at uh, AC Milan till the end of the season. So it, it feels like, I think this January window, even though they are stronger with Benton and Kulusevski, I feel like this January window could be quite damaging for Spurs because it's already a sign of the troubles Conte will have at Spurs. It doesn't take much for him to be unhappy with transfer businesses of a club. We've seen that at his last two clubs. And it wouldn't surprise me if he isn't too happy with not necessarily the players he's ended up with, but just the process of how he ended up with those players. It didn't it didn't feel like there was a lot of joined up thinking in that process. I'm I'm gonna probably annoy a lot of Spurs fans here, so I apologize in advance. But Go on. Like with Luis Diaz, it's basically Spurs want him, he's into the idea, and then Liverpool are like, nope, that was our guy, we're getting him, and Liverpool get him. And with Adama Traore, I wonder if he's all in on that move to Spurs until Barcelona call and say, hey, we might be able to get you in, and then, yeah, I want to go play for Barcelona. Frank Kessie, the same thing you talked about, Graham. And it just makes me wonder if there is, for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, there's just an idea that, like, if I'm going to the Premier League, I'm going to Man City, I'm going to Liverpool, I'm going to Chelsea, I'm going to these places where I know I'm going to be in the Champions League, I know I'm going to be challenging for the title, 
And I also wonder, to, to your point about uh, Benton and Kulishevsky's body language, if there's also the Antonio Conte aspect of things, that it means, oh, I'm going to have to run so much now. I'm going to have to work so hard. I'm not going to be allowed to have catch-up. I'm going to get yelled at a bunch. And it, it, it's, it's strange because I honestly think that uh, I have Spurs finishing fourth. They're my pick to, to finish fourth and get that final Champions League place because I feel like this is slowly becoming an Antonio Conte team. But you're correct that it could also kind of blow up if they do, because they didn't fill certain areas of need, because he didn't get certain players maybe he wanted. It might end up being that kind of negative side of Antonio Conte where he's really frustrated, he's really demanding, the players aren't up for it, and it can lead to a meltdown. But it could also mean, nope, I've got the people I need. We've got this kind of tight-knit group, this tight ship, and we're going to go on and, and finish top four. So it could go either way. I, I think I'm just a little bit more positive, even with all those negatives, because it just feels like Antonio Conte knows how to build a team the way he wants them to play. I could totally envision a scenario in which they end up playing with that sort of 3-5-2 shape, and that gets the best out of Mentencourt. Kulishevsky, I think you're right, Graham. He could play a number of positions, and I'm not quite sure where he fits entirely, but is still a good enough player to make a difference. So I think this was a pretty good window for Spurs, all that said. Uh, looking at the teams who actually seem to know what they're doing, aka Man City and Liverpool, uh, Man City bringing in Julian Alvarez from River Plate for 14.1 million. He's going to stay at River Plate until the summer. He was the top scorer in Argentina last year. So um, we'll be interested to see what he does when he comes over to England later this year. And as mentioned, Liverpool have brought in the biggest signing of the window in England before deadline day, Luis Diaz from Porto for 45 million euros. Uh, as Graham mentioned, their Spurs did want him as well. Uh, Graham, the 25-year-old had a direct hand in 18 league goals for Porto this season already, scoring 14. He is going to be a good soccer player for the Liverpools, Graham. You would, you would certainly think so. And I, and I do like this signing for Liverpool because it feels like they are future-proofing their attack a little bit. You said they're um, in jest almost, but there is some uh, sincerity to it. Let's go to the teams that know how to run themselves. And this is a signing to me that kind of proves Liverpool do know how to run themselves because obviously it feels like Liverpool are approaching a moment where they're going to have to make some difficult calls on some of those those uh, attacking players that they've got. You know, Mane and Salah in particular. Salah, whose contract I think ends in a year and a half time and there's not really much sign of any progress in, con in contract talks, so it's not out of the question that Salah leaves Liverpool pretty pretty soon, in 18 months. Um, and I think, you know, you look at Jota, who's 25, Diaz is 25, so it feels like the signings that they're making kind of protect them from a difficult transition when they do have to move on. I mean, even, even if Salah signs a new contract, you know, there, there will come a time when they have to um, replenish that attacking line, and players like Jota and Diaz will help them do that. And the, the idea is, obviously, by the time that happens, they're already bedded in, they're already proven as as, as um, players for Liverpool at that level, at Premier League level, Champions League level. So, yeah, I, I like that aspect of, of, of this signing. And and I, I do as well, Graham. And, uh, Ryan, I saw that stat about the uh, involved in 18 goals, 14 scored. The stat that stood out to me was he is second uh, in the league, in the Portuguese league, in possession one in the attacking third. He's done that 18 times this season. And that feels very much like the recipe for a Liverpool player under Jurgen Klopp. And so the way they've kind of beefed up that front three in the past, you, you get Shakiri for... 
basically a bargain price. It feels like a player that you have to bring in and then try to make fit. He does in some ways, he doesn't in others. Then you bring in Jota, who, again, is a capable deputy. But then to bring in Luis Diaz, who seems like not only a capable deputy, but a potential replacement, a potential starter, who's already doing some of the things that you want to see a high-pressing player do, it it feels like a pretty big no-brainer. And I'm guessing, again, that's why Liverpool had him on their list, maybe thought they could wait until the summer, and then when there's the Spurs' interest, nope, we're getting him now. Uh, That, again, feels like smart business from Liverpool on the whole. And just just going back to the the stats sheet on Diaz um, for a moment, I also saw a stat about his his the chances that he's creating after ball carries. Mm-hmm. So forty six shot involvements and ten goal involvements for Porto this season. Which I looked at the 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 table of that in the Portuguese league. It is miles ahead of anyone else in that league. And I think there are some questions for Liverpool with Michael Edwards leaving um, not so long ago. So he was credited very much with being the mastermind behind this Liverpool team and, and particularly in the transfer market and assembling that squad. So there were some questions of, do Liverpool have as clear a grasp or as firm a grasp on what sort of team they are after Edwards has left? And the fact that they're going for players like Diaz, who you, you see that ball carry stat and you go, OK, that's a Liverpool player, similar to what you were saying, Taylor. And I think that's a good sign that it's it's not down to, obviously Diaz actually has to play well for Liverpool. Um, but in terms of his profile, it wasn't purely down to Michael Edwards. It feels like that is now ingrained in the club. They have an idea of the sort of players they should be going after. Listener, do join us in part three of this podcast. We'll be talking about the biggest continental deals. We're going to be uh, talking about potential winners and losers from the window. And we're going to be listing off the 486 US players who made the move to Europe. Back shortly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our January transfer special. Graham, we turn our attention very quickly to the continent. The biggest deal of the window was done on that there continent. Dusan Vlavic going from Fiorentina to Juventus. A slightly controversial deal when you look at the context. Um, I'm an old person. I remember Roberto Baggio being sold to Juventus uh, back in 1990. There were riots on the streets of Florence when that happened. A controversial move. Florence isn't a very rioty place, Graham. And um, so so it, it, there's not a lot of love in Italy for this move, uh, Vlavic, and probably not a, lo- a lot of love among uh, many Premier League teams mm. too who wanted him. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of a very Bayern Munich sort of deal, doesn't it? Mm. Where they just kind of poach pick off the the one of the best players from one of the other teams in the league um but I do think he is exactly what Juventus needed I think Vlavic is going to be 
their next great centre forward and clearly Juventus are, are banking on that as well 75 million euros that's that's a big fee as a striker who's scored 17 goals in 21 games for Fiorentina this season I think he gives Allegri uh, a focal point to build around I do think Juventus have got a lot of good attacking talent and we've seen them recently kind of liberate a lot of that talent with uh, Dybala and McKenney and Locatelli playing more advanced roles but when you watch them it does feel like they sort of lack that that focal point to use that term again and Vlavic is very much going to be that sort of player. Um, you mentioned there the Premier League clubs that are after him. I think Arsenal, it's a blow that he hasn't gone to them. I, I, I do believe, kind of reading the reporting, that they were they very much saw him as the, the perfect centre-forward for their system. I think they probably did make offers for him, but obviously Juventus have outbid them, and I think Vlaovic's personal preference as well was to stay in Italy as well. Again, just reading the reporting on that one. But I think there's a, a case to be made in the short term looking at Juventus's deals that they made in, in January and they were pretty active. I thought they had a good window, uh, not just in terms of the players they brought in, but players who left as well. Mm. But in the short term, I think uh, Dennis uh, Zakaria is an even more important signing for agree. Juventus, as I say. <laughs> What's that, Taylor? I said, I agree. I am, okay. I am so confused by this move. You're confused by Zakaria going to Juventus. Okay, go on. I'm, I'm interested. For four million. I don't understand how they were able to oh, get right. that okay, good of a player for that little of a fee. Like, there are so many teams that would be made better. Manchester United would be so much better with Dennis Zakaria in that squad. I don't understand how Juve were able to pull this off. That's what I'm confused by, because I think it's a really, really strong move by them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, he going for four million. I think maybe his contract was up at the end of the season, but even still, that that feels like an absolute bargain. And you're right, Manchester United. That's a player they maybe should have been uh, interested in. I think he would have solved a lot of problems for them. I think he's going to solve a lot of problems for Juventus. Yep. Because I think, um, as a reference just there, I think they've made progress in the way that they've liberated a lot of their midfielders, and particularly McKenney and Locatelli. However, to do that, Juventus needs someone to hold the fort, essentially, in the middle of the pitch. And Artur has been used in this role, but he's not as mobile as Juventus need him to be. That's always been his, his flaw as a player. He's good on the ball, but even going back to when he was at Barcelona, he wasn't mobile enough to perform that role. And that's where Zachary is going to come in. He's had a serious injury um, recently, but I think a, a lot of people believe he's ready to take the next step in his career. I think he's either 25 or 26. I might have got that wrong, actually. But he's the sort of player that Juventus have needed in that position for the last five years. So... Vlaovic is the big headline move, but in terms of an instant impact, I think Zakaria might be the one that's uh, most noticeable. Perhaps the most amazing thing about the Zakaria deal is that they managed to get a German club to, to participate in the January transfer window in doing this deal. Although I say <laughs> that, Taylor, um, perhaps that takes us on to the US players who've made moves to <laughs> Europe because um, German teams have certainly been participating in that scenario. Ricardo Pepe, of course, going from FC Dallas to Augsburg, uh, their record signing, and George Bello going from Atlanta to Arminia Bielefeld, um, and dozens and dozens of others, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, yes, in the Bundesliga and elsewhere, it's been a busy window for Americans in that same uh, the transfer window preview show we did. I think Joe's specific prediction was that three or more Americans would move in the window. He was very (laughs) correct because it has been many more than three. It's about 303 <laughs> at this point. Um, of those moves, I, I think I'm still excited for James Sands at Rangers. Rangers had a pretty interesting window as yeah. well, Graham. I, I yeah, hope, they did. I hope you have some thoughts on that one. And I remain more excited than I was in the beginning about Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg. You all actually made me more excited because I was still unsure how much he was going to play, how involved he was going to be. The point about how big that transfer fee was for a player 
of his like relatively unknown status or relatively unproven status, I should say, for a club like Augsburg means I think he's going to be a focal point for them. So I think it could be a really exciting, potentially big second half of the season for him. Maybe that's wishful thinking. But yeah, I think the Pepe move to Augsburg is a solid one. I think the Daryl DK move to West Brom makes sense. I just think it's not going to be the most attractive of football for people who want to see what Daryl DK is up to week in and week out. Yeah, that that peppy one is exciting. Uh, who knows? Uh, maybe it'll occasionally allow him to get off the bench for the USMNT as well, Taylor. We, uh, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. You never I mean, know. Not, you never know how this is all going to play out. Yeah, let's not be hasty. Don't go too far. <laughs> Graham, any any big US deals that stood out to you? I suppose Pepe is the, is the headline. Yeah, Pepe is absolutely the, the headline. There's been some encouraging signs early on. Obviously, he's still to, to score his first Bundesliga goal, but you you do see progress in the games that he's playing for Augsburg. Um, being a Scot, a lot of the deals I have kept my eye on have been the, the Americans to, to Scotland, and that seems to be a growing trend. So Chris Muller as well going to Hibernian. He started the Edinburgh Derby last night. Uh, James Sands, as you already mentioned, to, to Rangers. I mean, Austin Trusty to Arsenal on deadline day, that was a slightly surprising one. I don't <laughs> know if there's some um, sort of Barcelona-style accountancy going on there with the Cronky link. I'm just speculating. I think he's already there, been loaned but... back, hasn't he? Has he? Yeah. Right, okay. That That is a confusing one. But uh, yeah. I guess as Arsenal fans have say about Arteta, trusty the process. Is that like a, <laughs> you know, where teams go. sponsor stuff, themselves? Yeah. Is it that kind of situation? You know, like where Qatari Airlines sponsor teams? Is it? Is this, I don't know. I'm probably going to go into fire truck of lawyers scenario here. <laughs> so I'm going to back away from that, Graham. Why I don't mean, we talk about Rick? Go, go I could see a scenario in which like, they want to be able to say, like, we had one of our players sold to one of the biggest clubs in Europe and just kind of sidestep the obvious connection there. You never know. You never know with these things. I mean, I think Austin Trusty is a very good player. I just don't think he makes Arsenal a better team right now. I think he's a player that if you get him in, get him training, get him a full preseason, like basically give him some time to be coached by Arteta, I think he will end up being a good player for them. But I think he is a, like a sponge player who's going to pick up what Arteta is putting down and kind of not question it. He's going to roll with the style, and I think that's what Arsenal want these days. But I don't know if he does much for them in the immediate future, nor does Matt Turner, which is another one that we were all sort of confused by. We don't know if that move has actually happened, if it's happening in the summer, if there's some sort of agreement in place that will allow him to move when the window opens in the summer. Who knows for sure, but either way, Arsenal doing something with Americans. We're just not quite sure what. We're recording before the US game on Wednesday evening, so maybe the frostbite will um, affect that um, situation as well, Taylor. We'll, <laughs> He's going to have hand warmers. He's going to have NFL-style <laughs> hand warmers is the last thing I saw. All right, Graham, you mentioned Rangers there. They did make quite a big uh, signing from Juventus as well. They did, indeed. They signed Aaron Ramsey on loan until the end of the season, which... I'm not really sure how this happened. Um, I mean, I did read that Juventus are reportedly paying about 90% of his wages. Aaron Ramsey's Juventus wages, by the way, are anywhere estimated to be between £250,000 a week and £400,000 a week. There's a a difference of opinion in terms of what he actually gets paid, but there's an agreement that it is a lot and certainly a lot more than Rangers can afford. So I guess Juventus paying 90% of that um, maybe explains why he's ended up there. I I have to imagine there was a lot of Premier League interest in Ramsey. Um, you know, there were, he was linked with Newcastle certainly earlier in the window. But I have to say, having said that, I I find it re- refreshing to be honest that Ramsey has gone to Rangers. There is life outside the Premier League. Rangers are as big as 
I would say, in my opinion, they're as big as any Premier League club besides maybe Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United. They're a huge club that get 50,000 fans every home game. They play in Europe. They've got a Europa League um, tie against Borussia Dortmund coming up. They win trophies. Um, and what I'm about to say, I mean very sincerely, Ramsey won't have experienced scrutiny in British football like he will at Rangers, not even at Arsenal. Um, it, it, it's incessant up here. They just talk about Rangers and Celtic day in, day out. If you turn on the radio, you'll get a chat about Celtic and Rangers. It's front page news. So I'm not sure he'll, he'll experience that before, but he'll, he'll handle it. I think the biggest question is his fitness. If Rangers can get him fit, it's the sort of player, along with Ama Diallo, who they also signed on loan from Manchester United, which was notable in itself, if they can get Diallo already has scored a goal, so he's kind of he's started, he's firing. If they can get Ramsey fit and firing, it's the sort of thing that could keep them uh, keep them top of the Scottish Premiership and make sure they they keep their league title. But it's ve- it's very interesting in Scotland at the moment. There's an old firm derby tonight before we're recording, and Celtic can go top. So it's it's we've got a title race for the first time in a long long time. We do one of uh, this uh, this season's eighteen old firm derbies tonight. As we record, yeah. that'll be very exciting. Graham, you're saying how there'll be a lot of scrutiny for Ramsey, which he might not have experienced. Are you implying that Italians are dispassionate about this whole endeavour? Ah, so you missed out. I deliberately said he won't have experienced it in British football like he will in Rangers. I think it's similar in Italy, yes. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Another big deal, or not a big deal, Taylor, that caught my attention, Jermaine Defoe has gone to Sunderland. He's 39. He's older than both of us, Taylor. I think this means we've both got one big contract left in us. I think I think it does. I think if we're referring to moving to League One and Sunderland is a big contract, then yeah, let's make it happen. <laughs> I, I like this one. I like this for Jermaine Defoe, for the Sunderland connection, but also uh, read, I saw a couple of different stories, Red One, about how they can no longer sustain being in League One at this point, that they have to get out of there. And this feels like a signing that is meant to get them some goals, bring that veteran guile and wisdom, and get them into the championship, and then get them right back into League One when they no longer have Jermaine Defoe next season. <laughs> wonderful stuff circle of life complete um we can finish off with some winners and losers of the window but before we get there i just wanted to touch on some stuff that didn't happen that perhaps mm. we wish did i'll kick it off with the rumors surrounding Brendan aronson going to leeds uh bielsa reportedly wanted him at leeds but salzburg wouldn't sell uh uh graham i would have liked to have seen that would you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would have because um, in our in my chats with uh, Taylor and Joe and Americans in Action, I tend to be the one maybe playing down Aronson a little bit. Not yeah, Graham because hates I, Brendan <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate Brendan Aronson. Yeah, not because I don't rate him, but just because I, I haven't seen him. I want to see him do it at a higher level consistently, and Leeds would have allowed him allowed him to do that. Um, I expect from all from all the reporting that I've read, I expect they'll be back from at the end of the season. It feels like Leeds' interest in, in him is is pretty long standing. Leeds tend to kind of stick in with players. Think about how they got Dan uh, James after mm-hmm. two two years after they had him in the building, about to sign. Then he goes to Manchester United. Then he comes back to Leeds United. So. My prediction is Aronson's still going to get that move and we're still going to see him in the Premier League. Ah. Well, uh, Leeds compensated for that by doing no business at all. Uh, wonderful stuff from them. Uh, Graham, any other players you wish maybe or hoped would have made a move? Yeah, so um, Chouamene, the, the Monaco midfielder, a, a player I thought was almost certain to leave Monaco in this window. He was linked with Man United and Chelsea and Tottenham, but but nothing happened. He's someone that I have watched in the France team. He's he's 22 years old. He's already an important member of that squad, which I think says a lot about the level that he's at, given the, the options that Didier Deschamps has in central midfield. Um, but I think a deal has to happen in the summer now. It has to happen. I think he's he's ready to take the next step. And when he does move up, he's going to go to one of the super clubs in Europe. So 
Um, much like the Aronson one, this this one's just on ice. I think he's going to get a move pretty soon. Fair enough. Um, Taylor, there are a few teams I think should have done stuff that didn't do stuff. Um, I'm going to list them off and then you're going to pat me on the head and tell me I'm a good boy, okay? Um, Norwich, uh, I think, maybe should have done something. I think they made it clear they weren't going to. I think Todd Cantrell went out on loan. But um, with Newcastle and the other teams around and making moves, I'm kind of interested that Norwich didn't do anything but perhaps more interesting West Ham didn't do anything I felt like they had a chance to consolidate that run to the top four they're relatively light in a few positions so like attack I'd suggest maybe defense as well and the other one Taylor Chelsea didn't do any business here they there was suggestion they might need some cover at left back but um uh, Tommy Tuchel knows best any any thoughts on that Taylor I mean, I would have liked to see Serginho Dest go to Chelsea and, and see what that shakeup could have done. Um, yeah, I, I think all three of those definitely could have used strengthening. Like, you understand why Norwich maybe didn't want to spend that money, given that they're not sure where they're going to be next season. I think Chelsea have spent plenty of money and maybe want to make sure that they're getting the best out of the players that they already have before they go spend more. But West Ham is the big one. That feels like a missed opportunity, especially give, given the relative weakness of the other team's in the top half of the table at present, that does feel like a team that if they got a couple more pieces, just in case there are injuries, in case they need a change of pace, or they need uh, like a, a big attacking threat late in the game, that does seem like a potential missed opportunity for West Ham for sure. And, and, the, and, the, and the reporting around the players that they were going after as well. So apparently they made a bid for Rafinha to, to, to Leeds United. They made an offer for Calvin Phillips as well. Obviously got neither, but the fact that they're bidding for these players suggests to me that they had money to spend. Yep. I just don't understand why it took them until kind of the last week of the min- the window to- for them to be active in any way in terms of making bids. It's it's a peculiar one. Yeah, um, and for me, I agree. And 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 I look at a player like Jesse Lingard, who is one that I I did want to get a move because I, I like Jesse Lingard. And though in my mind he will always be twenty three years old, I think he is now twenty nine and is is wow. or is up there in terms of a professional footballer's age. And I think could have used a move certainly. Doesn't end up going to Newcastle, has played for West Ham previously, probably would help them be better and be a key figure for them and just an important player and give him some of that confidence. And I'm assuming that Manchester United refusing to end up letting him go means that he is part of the plans with some of the players they've let go and some of the kind of lack of depth they're going to have for the rest of the season. I hope that's the case. I hope it's not just Jesse Lingard sitting on the bench for the next five months and then he ends up going somewhere on a free. But that seems like another player that West Ham maybe for another few million more could have brought in. Poor Jaylings, indeed. Um, why don't we finish off, gents, with a couple winners and losers from the window. I'll get the ball rolling, Graham. Aston Villa, I would uh, class as a winner here, getting in Philippe Coutinho and Luca mm-hmm. Digne. Got their business done nice and early. By the way, Coutinho scored a pretty good goal against Paraguay uh, for Brazil this week he as did. well, uh, apropos of nothing. But I, I think Villa, Graham, well, had, had a good one. Yeah, I I think they did too. But I also think there's a scenario where... Maybe it doesn't work, and then they're saddled with a lot of uh, <laughs> expensive players who they can't move on. I don't think that is completely out of the question that that could happen. But I, I, I agree. I think it was, I think it was a good winner uh, window. I think they're stronger now than uh, they were at the start of the window. Can I, can I offer up one of my winners? And I think this one, it's not, it's going to not, it's going to be a, a little bit surprising, not very popular. I'm going to say Arsenal. Okay, I agree. Hear me out on this one. I agree. So they only brought in one player, and that was uh, Mr. Trusty on deadline day. Not exactly a headline signing. 
However, for Arsenal to take the next step in their development under Arteta, they needed to clear the decks a little bit, and there was too much dead weight in that squad, and they got rid of quite a lot of it. So Aubameyang, for a start, that's £350,000 a week off the wage bill. Pablo Mari, he's away as well. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, he's gone. Kolasinac, he's gone. Callum Chambers, he's gone. And of course, it's only a good window if Arsenal then use that free space to build something better. But the players that they've left this month, that have left the club this month, should make the summer window easier for them, and should make it easier to to build something in, Art- in Arteta's vision and uh, kind of take that next step. So, I'm going to say Arsenal had a good window, even though they basically signed no one. I I agree with you, Graham. Mostly, I had it as Mikel Arteta was in my winners column because he is fully the captain of that ship now, and I think getting Aubameyang out the door, allowing him to get some of that dead weight off the books and start that rebuild or start to continue to rebuild, I guess would be a better way to put that. Uh, But then I also have Arsenal kind of in the loser's bracket as well because they are a thin squad. They already had a game called off due to numbers. They get even thinner. So it it could be a really good gamble that he, he gets younger players in. He gives people more opportunities. He gives people more backing and they rise to the occasion and have a strong second half of the season. But they could also have a few injuries, struggle to fill those gaps, end up in a sort of precarious position where they're not quite sure how to move forward. Are they going to have to spend a ton of money? I, I, I could see this working out well. I could see it being a problem come the summer. Interesting. Okay. Wasn't expecting Arsenal to uh, get the uh, the winner column there, but okay, there we go. Uh, another winner I'll pick out, uh, Taylor, Ferran Torres as a player winner, huh. uh, potentially preferable at City, as we have seen and probably would see. He, can, he now has the potential to become a focal point at Barcelona, the potential. And I think this will do no damage to his national team ambition as well. So that feels like he's done a good thing here, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think for the rest of this season, Barcelona, I think, win are winners in the window because they get Adama Traore, they get Ferran Torres, they get Aubameyang, a motivated Aubameyang at that. I think they made themselves better. The question becomes, do they make themselves better next season and the season after when they have these players now in their books who are still making a decent amount of money, but maybe they want more money or they want to move? I think... At least for the rest of this year, though, Barcelona have to be considered winners. Winners, And I think while we're sticking in Spain, I think Sevilla, getting in Tecatito Corona, getting Anthony Martial on loan, both very good players that will absolutely help their offense pretty much immediately. I think that's a strong window for Sevilla. And moving back to England, but not the Premier League, I actually thought Bournemouth had a really, really, really smart window. Uh, If they're going to challenge for promotion, they needed depth and they needed quality. Uh, They get Todd Cantwell on loan from Norwich, and I think that gives him an opportunity to basically just reset. I I was reading an article about what's gone wrong for him at Norwich, and it just seems like it's a whole host of things but a lot of it was just lack of confidence and lack of belief from a couple different managers. So to get a new start, to have uh, not the not the David Cross a new start, an actual new start, uh, I think <laughs> will, will benefit him. But then for uh, Bournemouth to bring in Kiefer Moore, they bring in uh, Nat Phillips, and I feel like they just they get some depth. Uh, Ethan Laird on loan from Manchester United. He's a, he's a pretty promising right back, only twenty years old. I think there's. Just a lot of smart signings there for Bournemouth to put themselves in a strong position for the rest of the season. I uh, called Todd Cantwell Todd Cantrell earlier because I obviously confused him with Jerry Cantrell, um, Taylor. Natural <laughs> move to make. See, all, all the Cantrell. disrespect. This is what's happened. He keeps getting this disrespect and he can't find the confidence as a result. <laughs> uh, Graham, any, any other winners or losers you'd like to nominate? 
I think we've I think we've pretty much covered them in our in our chat. Yeah. One of the losers I had was Jesse Lingard. Uh, yeah. Mine, he'd have to let this guy go. It's virgin on a uh, cruel at him, this man. point. You can't quit him. At, at the start of this window, if you'd asked me to predict a player who would be a hundred percent on the move, I, I probably would have said Lingard above all else because he'd barely played for Mine this season. He wants to leave. He's out of contract at the end of the season, and there's a number of clubs interested in him. I don't understand how a move didn't happen in this window for him. It's, it's baffling to me. So he, he's definitely a, a loser for me, particularly in a in a World Cup year, given that he he probably still has ambitions of breaking into that England squad. He was pretty close to getting into the Euro squad mm-hmm. last summer, of course, and this isn't going to help his uh, help his case. Indeed, I've got. I've got one more winner, one more loser. My winner would be uh, a man we already mentioned, Antonio Conte. I think for the same reasons as Mikel Arteta and Arsenal, it does seem like he is getting players in that he has some familiar with familiarity with because of the Juventus connection, but he's getting some players that don't fit the system out the door. And I think we are seeing him sort of stamp his imprint on this team, which I think only makes them better. And the opposite of that would be PSG, who, uh, according to reports, have Mbappe agreeing to a pre-contract with Real Madrid, so he won't be there next season. And then I saw last night, and I think I've seen it since then this morning, uh, they've reportedly told Pochettino that he will not be returning next year and will not be their manager. So feels like they are in a somewhat confusing situation where they've already told their manager no thanks. They've told their star player no thanks. There were plenty of reports that Neymar wanted out. We'll see if those intensify now that Mbappe's gone. Just seems like an odd window for PSG, who haven't really put themselves in a better situation than they were at the start of the month. Um, Taylor, be balanced, though. Be fair, because in this window, a Neymar documentary did go on Netflix, and that's a big aim of theirs uh, to get that true. kind of marketing reach true. as well. So let's be fair. <laughs> Never mind. It's a win. PSG in the winner's <laughs> column now. Yeah. It's also a bad documentary. Don't watch it. Never mind. PSG in the loser's column now. Don't the, watch it. I, I haven't watched it, but the the preview picture on my Netflix is Neymar with half Joker makeup, half Batman makeup. <laughs> <laughs> For real. I haven't seen that picture, but that sounds a bit right. Because I was reading about Netflix, and they alter those images depending on what they think you'll like. Yeah. And I... I don't know if they've got that right on that one for me, frankly. But um, we, we shall see uh, whether I watch that or not. Stay tuned for that one, listener. I've just got two more winners to pick out here. Taylor and Graham, you guys are Aww. great. Thank you so much, guys. This has been a wonderful transfer show. I hope you've enjoyed it, listener. But for now, Graham Rubman, thank you very much for your services. Thank you, Ryan Billy. Taylor Rockwell, you ledge. Uh, right back at you. I have Neymar with his hands on his hips looking concerned. That's what my, my Netflix uh, icon is. Interesting. Very interesting. And maybe that says something about our personalities. Maybe, maybe it, it does. Doesn't. Maybe it does. I, I think it does. I like that uh, when Friends shows up in my wife's account, it shows her David Schwimmer and it shows me uh, Jennifer Aniston. I'm not quite sure what to make of that one. Uh, big morning show fan. That's what it is. That's anyway, it is. Uh, listener, thank you so much for listening this far. We'll be back on the feed soon. But for now, bye.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.